Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, what's up, everyone? And welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you're all having a beautiful day so far. I am extremely excited and privileged to be introducing this week's amazing guest, Miss Nina Lombardo. So Nina is incredible. She, I actually found her work on Instagram, I think, Someone that I was following had shared some of her poetry. And then when I read her poetry and continued to read her poetry, it just kept dropping me deeper and deeper and deeper into my, into my heart and really helped me. I'm like, it was just beautiful writing. And so I reached out to her because, you know, what Nina teaches is this, is this idea of feminine embodiment, which is really bridging in spiritual practices, somatic awareness techniques, healing ritual and psychology to evoke a deeper level of feeling within yourself. And I think feminine energy and masculine energy, there's just so much being talked about those concepts right now inside of the spiritual communities, inside of healing, and just as an overall idea of the masculine and the feminine. What does that even mean? And in this week's episode, we demystify all of that. You know, we really, uh, Nina's, Nina's own journey to wholeness within herself, uh, the way that Nina holds space for the women that she teaches through her workshops and retreats and private mentoring. You know, I really learned a lot and, you know, everything, we covered everything from how to be aware of our numbness and, and why we're so afraid to feel and what to do about that how our authentic expression requires a special attunement to something so much deeper within ourselves, what polarity is, understanding the role that devotion plays inside of creating your best life, inside of creating intimacy in your relationships, and so much more. You know, I I really appreciated this conversation, not just because Nina's incredible at what she does, but, you know, I, I've just been going deeper and deeper and deeper into my own journey of self-love, really learning how to integrate the masculine and the feminine within myself and what that even means for me. So being able to learn from from someone like Nita who has so much experience, who's learned from some of the some of the masters inside of this this specific space of of intimacy and devotion and and feminine embodiment. For her to bring the level of mastery that she has into this conversation was just really healing and opening for me. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Uh, we make all of Nina's links available in the show notes. So if you want to reach out to her on social media, if you want to actually read her poetry and engage in everything she's doing, I know she's got workshops and retreats that are actually coming up pretty soon. So definitely check those out as well. Uh, her website is thewayofdevotion.com. And enjoy this episode. If you haven't already, subscribe to us on iTunes or any of the podcast apps, Spotify. All that means is that every single time we've released a new episode, it drops straight into your inbox. 
Reach out to us on social media. Tag us. Let us know if anything we said landed for you. This was a beautiful conversation on the role that devotion and passion and expression and art and feeling can have on the quality of our lives. And so if you're interested in any of that and more, enjoy this episode with the amazing Miss Nina Lombarda. Enjoy. Yo, yo, yo. What's up, everyone? And welcome back to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you're all having a beautiful day so far. I am so grateful to be sitting here with you, Nina. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) I'm just so excited. I was just telling you before we started recording how much I appreciate your heart and how you, you share just such deep, beautiful poetry. And it's just one of my, one of the many reasons why I'm so grateful for our time here. And I would love to begin with the idea of feminine embodiment. Can you describe or I guess create a, your own definition of what that phrase or word actually means? It's a really big question and there's a lot of different interpretations out there of what that means. So I love that you asked that so we can all be on the same page for the rest yeah. of this conversation. And usually when I'm speaking of the feminine, I'm not referring to like gender or gender roles or gender archetypes. I'm really speaking to this aspect of reality that is existence, that is experience, and that is everything that we can feel and know and touch and intuit and think. Feminine is the energy and the content and the stuff of life. So we are all feminine beings. (laughs) As long as we're in a body, we are inhabiting the feminine. So I also refer to the feminine as love or this equality of yearning in the universe that propels creation. The feminine is creation and this aspect of becoming, this quality of evolution, right? So a lot of us are really disconnected from this part of ourselves. The feminine in general in in our society has been very obviously suppressed and diminished, the way we treat our bodies, the way we treat the earth are all reflective of our relationship with the feminine. The way that we connect with one another, the way we feel love, it's we're kind of in this sickness, really. We're very severed from that in our society. So when I talk about feminine embodiment, I'm really talking about reclaiming that quality and that energy and that pulse within ourselves, reconnecting to that pure love, life force energy within and learning how to live that through our body. And there's also a piece around that that creates with intimate or that relates with intimacy and polarity, which is another aspect of what I teach, but we could dive into that later (laughs) if you want. But for now, I think that sets a, a context of what the feminine is and how I use that term. Yeah. So I guess uh, from from the realms of embodiment, what do you think is actually creating the need for embodiment? Right? Mm. Like why are we not already connected to this feminine, to this mm. infinite nature which feels like it's so naturally a part of our it's it's a part of who we are. Like 
I'm curious to hear your perspectives on on what's creating the need for an embodiment practice or even a devotion to embodiment. Mm-hmm. I can name probably a thousand reasons, but I'll just start with a few that are coming up right now. Just our relationship with technology and what we value in terms of our worth, our human worth in society is very much determined by our intellect, by our capacity to be purposeful and have a mission and to create money and to think with our minds. So we're kind of conditioned to cultivate those more masculine qualities within ourselves, because that is what helps us survive and what helps us sustain ourselves in this world. Feminine qualities of the more feminine qualities of nurturance and connection are very undervalued in our society. So just to survive, we need to kind of live more in the masculine and just relationship with technology. We're so on screens all day, just in our minds, in our heads, disconnected from feeling, from body. And that creates a sort of sickness and depression and anxiety in the self. So that's certainly a reason to come back to feeling I think our relationship with our bodies, again, is directly related to the earth. So when we come back and inhabit our bodies, we'll start to recognize what is actually happening on planet earth right now in terms of the environment and have more compassion and be more in tune with the flow of reciprocity between our bodies and the earth that is actually happening and have more reverence for that. So yeah, those are just a few reasons why it's important to come back to, to embodiment. Yeah, it's like it's you're like bringing me back to memory lane right now. Like I, I was very disconnected from my body for a very long time, a very long time, and I felt very trapped. In fact, my relationships felt it. I was in a nine year relationship, and it was not fulfilling and nourishing. And it was because I was so disconnected. And it was interesting because for me, a breakup created the catalyst to go inward and to start actually feeling. You know, are there more mm-hmm. more conscious ways to actually connect with that instead of needing like a, <laughs> a you know a left field kind of breakup or like something right. out of the blue to to shake your life up to begin feeling like are there are there ways that one can consciously actually enter into this this type of work so that they can continue deepening themselves and connecting and creating an environment for that richness to exist. Yeah, there's a lot of things you can do. And that's, it's mostly what I teach is teaching women mostly how to come back into their bodies and connect with this feminine force within. And yeah, trauma, conditioning, all these things keep us out of our bodies. And instead of having a life initiation that's out of our control, we could certainly initiate ourselves back to that communion and back to that connection. So really, the first thing is just recognizing where we're numbing ourselves, like just becoming aware that we're not feeling is really the first step of the process and choosing to sit with those places. Where am I cutting off from feeling? Where am I truncating myself from the sensations in my body and why? And usually the why is because of trauma. We felt a pain. We felt something usually in our childhood that was too uncomfortable to be in, to sit with, to feel. And so we severed ourselves from feeling that. 
So that's a reason why, another a large reason why we disembody. So trauma therapy is usually the first step I recommend to people to support them. If they do have a lot of numbness in their body and are very severed from feeling, usually receiving support from someone specializing in trauma is very helpful because the reason why you severed is probably because there's some trauma there. And there's a lot of traumatic or trauma therapies that are supportive to re-inhabiting the body. Because once you start re-entering those spaces, you're kind of forced to feel that which you didn't want to feel a long time ago. And that can be very difficult. So once that initial process is done, or not done because it's it's ongoing, but once you kind of have some regulation, you, you know the way to inhabit those places, to work with them on your own, then it's just a process of deepening in feeling. And so I kind of name it through these stages, like accessing feeling is kind of the first step. The next step is liberating that feeling, like, and learning how to express that feeling through our bodies, to live that feeling, to live that pulse, that current, that energy through our voice, through our emotions, through our expression. And that takes practice, right? Because we might feel, oh, I feel all this stuff, but I'm still kind of frozen. So dance and embodiment and Tai Chi and yoga and erotic body opening practices to connect with our sexuality and express our erotic feeling. And that's a huge piece too. So that I I say is kind of the second step. And then the third step is learning how to express ourselves really artistically in service and devotion to the world around us. That requires a little bit more nuance and refinement and almost a quality of restraint in our expression But it's a restraint that can only be celebrated and accessed once we've fully liberated our expression and feel fully free. And then we realize, okay, how can I like bring more clarity and bring more precision to this expression? That is feminine artistry, really. It's so cool to hear the the evolution. I why do you I have a a question that came up when you were sharing that I wanted to go before I dove into the artistry piece. Why do you think we're we're so afraid of feeling? Like, where's the, because I mean, at the end of the day, your body wouldn't be creating something it couldn't handle. Like your body's creating it, right? Like we inhabit our bodies. So like, where does the fear actually come in? And can you speak to that for anyone who might have a resistance or might, or, or just might have a hard time even, I mean, I know for myself, like in, in the past, I feared more the fear of being seen as a failure than I actually feared failure. I feared the fear of being shamed than shame itself. So there's, I'm realizing there's some nuances there, but I'm curious to hear your perspectives. Well, again, looking back on our childhood trauma, usually we cut off from like the initial truncation or the initial severance from feeling usually happens like our bodies have an intelligence. It's beyond the mind. We don't choose to shut down feeling. That's actually a survival mechanism of our bodies because during the traumatic event, it was too much to feel. 
it was too much. And our, and our body said, you know what? No, like, let's just put some armor up, sever from this feeling. This is how we survive. So it's really important to honor that wisdom of the body. And we all come to feeling, returning to feeling at our own pace. It can't necessarily be forced. For some people, it could be very quick. For some people, it might take a lot of time because we have to listen to the pace of our bodies and what we're ready for. Otherwise, we risk re-traumatizing ourselves. So, yeah, I think that feels, yeah, I'll end there. (laughs) Great, great, lovely. And I ask that because I, I, I just... I think that that fear of feeling is what stops people from even embracing the idea of of feminine embodiment. Like there's just like, I think once you break past that and you're like, oh, feelings aren't so bad, then it creates this curiosity to begin exploring. And then in that exploration and that curiosity, then comes the permission to liberate. And then in that liberation, there's this like, okay, I'm not afraid of being seen as I am, which then opens up the realms of, which I actually really loved the, what has your journey been going from liberation to that artistry? Like, like, I guess like the refinement, what does that look like for you in practice? Yeah, that's a great question. For me, it just felt like I was hitting a level of unfulfillment. And I started questioning, there has to be something more than just pure, unbridled, free expression all the time. Like I feel fully expressed. I, you know, lived a part of my life just, yeah, fully exploring my range of expression from masculine to feminine, from dark to light. And it felt like I had a deeper service. Like there was something deeper that wanted to emerge. And it, I kind of call it the difference. Like, I think this is a good example, you know, like I'm sure you've been to an ecstatic dance before. And that's like the epitome of like liberated expression, just expressing the truth of you. Like no one else really matters around you. You're just like in your expression. And that's so important. I know most people who have engaged in ecstatic dance find it super healing and have had so many breakthroughs to just liberate these stuck parts of themselves that is vital for evolution. But then when we start attuning to the people around us, we realize that our expression, our free expression that feels true and good for us in the moment doesn't always serve everybody. It doesn't always serve the deepening of consciousness and love for everybody. So it actually requires an attunement. So no longer I'm expressing for me, but I'm attuning to the people and the spaces around me and listening to what wants to like, it's hard to put words on it, but like, what is serving love? How can I utilize my expression in service to love for all, not just my own liberation, but liberation for everyone. And it's, and it creates a, like, it's a practice of discernment in a lot of ways too. Do you recall any, or any lessons or mistakes or like, I guess slip ups along the way of you really finding that voice and finding that place for yourself (laughs) that that you'd be open to sharing with us. Let me think if I could think of one specific, but definitely yes. And I still make mistakes all the time. I mean, that's the practice. We're always being initiated into deeper refinement and to deeper 
we're just always being initiated deeper, basically. And that requires us to make mistakes and to feel uncomfortable and to hit our edges and to do things that we are like, oh, fuck, why did I do that later? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I probably do that every day. So it's hard for me to pinpoint one thing. <laughs> well, that's, I, I think that's, uh, I certainly find myself in that stage. I feel myself being in that evolution uh, the last few years for me have been kind of liberating, but now I'm very much coming into my own refined nature of like, how do I want to lead? And and how do I want to serve? And those are the questions that are coming up for me. And it's kind of messy. <laughs> yeah. Not gonna lie. Like I'm like, I move in a direction and then I kind of feel like a wrecking ball and I knock a bunch of stuff over. And then it's like learning to kind of refine and 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 I feel like there's been a, a practice of grace for myself. And I and is that like a and maybe can you speak to that, like this idea of ease and grace as we are sort of evolving and growing? I mean, what role has that played in your own journey and, and how important do you feel like it is? Like, what role do you think it is healthy to actually have this, you know, I can be better and this drive to be better with then this softer sort of like ease, grace, slowness, like patience? Like, how do you speak to that? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. It really plays between the dance between the masculine and the feminine, right? Because the masculine is the part of us that really sees the bigger picture and feels the goal in the distance and kind of slices through reality to execute that goal. But obviously to do only that creates destruction. Yeah. Right? It creates destruction. We're not listening to the feminine, to the earth, to the energies and the flow of what really needs to happen. So it's a play between listening and softening and surrendering to, again, it's so hard to put words on these things, <laughs> to the energy of life, what really wants to birth itself right now, while also having the discipline to stick with something that your soul knows it must complete before you die. Oh, I need to sit with that last part. The discipline to sit with what your soul before you die. How do you distinguish the voice of the soul versus the voice of the ego in that pursuit? Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's a hard one too, because the ego's voice is very loud and confusing and we could very often mistake it for the soul, <laughs> the soul's yeah. voice. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and for me, when, when the soul, when my soul is really speaking to me, it feels, it usually comes spontaneously, like just this immense clarity in the moment that I, I didn't necessarily prepare for or ask for, you know, it's just this, oh, wow, this needs to be completed. Like this is the next step. This is it. And there's no doubt. There's no, but usually my ego is involved. There's like an attachment there. Like, mm, I want to do this. And there's also a need for some sort of validation or success, or it, there's some relationship there with my identity in the world mm. and how that identity is perceived when my ego is involved. But with soul, it's just like, there's no reason. It's just like, this is what needs to be done. And, and also I noticed when my soul is really speaking to me with what wants to emerge and what, what path to take next, 
it's usually something I really actually don't like that, that my ego doesn't actually really want to do. <laughs> yeah, that's, I feel that hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's being a human versus being divinely orchestrated, you know, and it's this, it's kind of this dance of honoring both. And is there a time to actually lean into what the ego wants versus what mm-hmm. the the soul like, is there a purpose that the ego serves in the fulfillment of of that soul's purpose or that soul's calling? Yeah, I think so. I think there are certain egoic desires and needs that we feel like we need to meet and accomplish before the next phase of our soul's path can even reveal itself. I think they're very intertwined in a sense. Like, they're always communicating with one another. Like I know certain people who had to build the business and make a million dollars and do X, Y, and Z before they realized, okay, that, that was like my ego driven thing. And I needed to do that. I needed to do that. But now something else, like a a deeper purpose is, is coming through because I did that. Yeah. I feel like that's been my path, a very hard charging entrepreneur. And then love broke me open. And then that, then the pursuit of love then brought me back to my heart, brought me back to connection. And I still, even today, like I was talking to my, my girlfriend who is just amazing. And she, I realized the more I leaned into our relationship, the more clear that voice of the soul got. It's like, which is really, and I don't know if you can speak to the role that conscious relationship can play inside of this dance of creation and what role it, like, I would just love to hear your perspectives on that. Cause it's certainly been true for me in that the more our relationship and the integrity of our relationship is prioritized, the clearer the message mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And it also requires two individuals to be committed to that more soul led path. Right. Because you're listening to the soul. And when two individuals come together in that really sovereign place, kind of it brings the relationship into what I would call more dharmic relationship versus a more karmic relationship. So then you're both supporting each other's soul's path. The relationship actually helps you each achieve it more so than you could have alone. But you had to cultivate the capacity to know you could pursue that on your own (laughs) so that you're not reliant on your partner for that, because that brings in, again, these kind of entanglements and codependencies. So in your heart, you need to trust that, okay, I could birth these visions. I could birth my soul's purpose on my own, but I could do it way better with the support of my beloved. Yeah, it's almost like the dance between like codependence and interdependence. Yes, exactly. And I feel like that it's, it's so interesting. We literally just went through this little phase where I was getting a little codependent. And I realized the, this is probably a great segue into polarity. I don't know if you'd be open to speaking on it. But like one of the things I became very painfully aware of is the more I try to hold on to love, the less polarity there is. And <laughs> the more I learn to 
access those states within myself, connect back with my vision, connect back with the love in me, the polarity sort of nourishes itself. Like it's like a very nourishing magnetic relationship. So maybe before we actually Mm -hmm. dive into that, can you actually just define what polarity might mean in the context of what we're talking about for anyone listening and then kind of speak to what I just talked about? In the context of what we're talking about, there's a lot of ways polarity plays out in the universe. And the way that I use that concept is on the very most fundamental level of working with this polarity between awareness, which I call the masculine, and feminine energy, the energy, what I described when you first asked. So these two powers with polarity, the underlying notion is that There's a polarity, but they exist together. They're not actually separate. They're one, right? And they actually need each other to exist at all. So all of us in our own being are the polarity of awareness and energy happening right now. That dance, that lovemaking of awareness and energy are birthing us into this moment right now. So polarity and intimacy, we kind of consciously choose to embody these polarities of awareness and energy in two separate bodies rather than in one (laughs) and to play with that together so that we can experience this profound union that is the primary function (laughs) of the universe. And there's, it's very spiritual and it's very esoteric and it's it's a very deep practice and the way i see polarity often being used is more of a surface version of that and it, it plays out in so many ways but stillness and movement is a polarity that might be equated with masculine and feminine so one person regardless of how spiritually evolved they are could inhabit stillness in their body and it would evoke kind of a movement in their partner and all of a sudden they're dancing in a polarity. So it kind of moves from surface to deep levels. I would say a surface version of polarity would be like, like the pickup artist culture. (laughs) You know what I mean? Where they're kind of utilizing and manipulating these energies of the universe to get what they want to get something for themselves, but like all spiritual practice and the basis of our conversation, even we're having here is really in service to the question is what serves love? Like what is in service to this higher purpose? So one needs to have a connection with that in order to practice at that depth with another in intimacy. It's so much in there that I'm just like, I don't even know what to ask right now. There's so much that I'd love to unpack with you. Mm-hmm. I love the the awareness that, I mean, even calling it awareness is so powerful. I mean, that is such a simple, simple way to, to sort of embody truth, right? Like awareness is truth, truth, and love are like the two opposing, or actually they're the same thing if I had to really get down yes. to it, right? At the yeah, end of the day. exactly, And so- Okay, I guess like in the dance of intimacy with life. The feminine. Right. So I guess like how can one develop a a polarity practice to consciously actually deepen their own 
connection to themselves, to life. I mean, the way you describe polarity just went so much bigger than anything I had initially thought it was going to be. So I'm curious to hear your your perspectives on how it actually enters into a daily practice in any way, or even just a, a way of being, if you would. Well, there's a lot of ways because we are already connected to these powers. We are aware right now. So you are aware that I'm here. <laughs> Whoever's listening is aware that they're listening to a conversation. There's a part of you that is always unchanging and always aware. It's the unchanging, empty witness, kind of watching the world, life, energy, thoughts. That's all the feminine. So this dance is always happening. So just simply bringing your awareness to how that's playing out in you now is really powerful. So when you place your awareness on your body and on your sensations and allow through the depth of your presence with that sensation, the sensation actually expands. The sensation deepens and more sort of feminine wisdom is revealed. So that is how a polarity plays out in one's solo practice. When you say feminine wisdom in that context, what are you speaking to? I am speaking to like this intelligence of the universe that that comes through visions and recognition and deep understanding of life and the way the world works. And this is something, you know, people who engage in ayahuasca ceremonies, that's a very feminine plant, like the feminine speaks through that plant. So I know people have received her wisdom through that medicine, for example. So that might relate with some people who have sat with certain psychotropic medicines like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, what I'm appreciating most about this conversation and the way that it's evolved is how even these everyday practices are just literal gateways to infinite love. And it's all in service of love. And it's all, and I think one of the things that I was really drawn to in the way that you communicated your, your inspired musings about love was how it all came back to devotion. Can you expand and unpack the the idea of devotion? Like what does devotion actually mean in the way that you use it? To me, devotion is really the marriage of love and commitment. And it's becoming the embodiment of love because there is something that you love. So the polarity, devotion already implies that there's a polarity happening because you have to be You're devoted to something, right? So that obviously creates a separation, (laughs) right? So through devotion, you merge with that that is separate than you. Devotion leads to union and leads to wholeness. So devotion plays out in many ways. Like one could be devoted to their art, One could be devoted to their family, to their children, to the divine, to a project, to the earth. And often what drives that devotion is very unnameable. It's just this force that just makes you get up every day, makes you get on your yoga mat. You show up no matter what egoic stuff is in the way or I don't want to or this hurts or this is uncomfortable. 
the devotion kind of gives you the will to stay through it because you know that on the other side, there's this deep fulfillment to serving that thing that is bigger than you. And I think that's what it, I'm just, it almost feels like devotion is that precision sort of artistic expression. Like in a lot of ways, like that's what it becomes, right? Like in the beginning, it's like, you're just doing it to feel and play and just discover, but eventually it becomes this commitment to a way of being, to an inner commitment. And I love that. And I think it's, I love that you just described it as love and commitment. Cause I think that's such a simple way to bring that back. Like you can be devoted to a dog. You can be devoted to a cause. You can be devoted to a person. Even if you don't have what you want, you can still practice devotion. And how do you feel like a, a practice of devotion actually plays a role inside of creation and manifestation and creating your dream life? Like, do you feel like I would love to hear your perspectives on just the role devotion plays in creating an extraordinary, fulfilling life. Yeah. Well, first, it's important to define what you are devoted to. Not everyone has that experience, right? But I think everyone is kind of looking for it in some way, that thing to devote themselves to. So it takes time for that to reveal itself can't really force that either. So this kind of ties in with what we were speaking to before, like just waiting for that to arise. What am I devoted to? And sitting with that in yourself. And then devotion really becomes the drive for creativity. I mean, I think of musicians I know who practice for 10 hours a day. (laughs) And yeah, again, it's just it's like there's something on the other side. It's like there's, that's what it feels like. It's like there's something on the other side. And if I just commit and commit and commit, I'll get there. And you do get there and it comes in flashes and there's moments of connection and you have that. And then you keep committing and you have these, you're like ever deepening into union with that which you're devoted to, but it's endless. It's like it doesn't end. Like (laughs) you reach it and then it expands out further. So it really is the drive of all creation. And yearning is also very connected with devotion, right? Yearning, this yearning to like, there's a yearning in that to connect with that thing. And yearning again is the feminine. That's the drive of creation. We won't create anything if there's no yearning there. (laughs) We won't make love if there's no yearning. We won't grow if there's no yearning. There's this like, oh, I gotta like, you know, just indescribable. (laughs) That's why I write poetry. (laughs) I I know. And I love it. (laughs) I am a big fan. Um, Can you speak to the fear of yearning? or the fear of desiring, or the fear of devoting? Like, can you speak to those? Because I I feel like there's a, even in the expression of love, saying I love you first, admitting that you desire love. Like there are, that's the polarity, or not polarity, maybe not in in that word, but they're the opposites, like the yearning, and then there's the 
the opposite of that, which is the fear of, I guess, the fear of yearning. I don't really know if the op- if there's an opposite to it, but I'm curious if you can speak to that for anyone listening who just has a fear of admitting that they yearn. Yeah, that's a beautiful question. And I think a lot of the fear that's associated with yearning is because our culture, again, with this diminishment of the feminine, we've associated yearning with weakness. That it's weak to yearn. That it's weak to say, I love you first, or to make yourself available. You know, that vulnerability is weak. And so part of my work is to create a reframe around this experience of yearning and to actually reclaim it as one of our most powerful experiences, our most powerful tools. If we learn how to relax with it, soften with it and channel it into our soul's purpose. So yearning is a very intense feeling to be with. I think all of us have probably experienced yearning in some way or another, usually yearning for love or yearning for someone that we're romantically interested in. Oof, it's a bit that could be very big, right? And often what happens when that big feeling comes, we start to clench around it. We start to shut it down. And that's what I call <laughs> yearning turning into neediness yearning turning into neediness. And neediness, there is a disempowerment there because with neediness comes the feeling and the belief that if I don't have that, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I need that to feel enough. So yearning on its own, if we can just rest with it, relax our bodies, open with it, it's important to know within ourselves that we are enough. Yearning is birthed from an experience of enoughness. (laughs) And that's the only way to to channel it in our power because, okay, I'm enough and I yearn. I yearn to fill the world with myself. I yearn to give myself to the world because I am so full. (laughs) So it's a different experience. It's a completely different experience. It is connected and sourced from a very different energy. And it's so much deeper. Like even as you said the word needy, like there's like a depth that yearning pierces through. That's just so core and almost primal in in essence of like, it's like back to who we are as humans, like the, the soul expressing itself through you, that desire, that longing for love, for connection, for expression, for play, for expansion, for freedom, for justice, whatever that is, there's a, there's a deep, deep, deep sense of felt experience in that word, even in like, and I can feel the energetic difference, which is what's so cool. So what would be, so if yearning is the feminine practice, what would be the equivalent from the masculine? So the masculine practice is typically what we actually see, especially in spiritual new age culture. So meditation, like transcendental meditation, let's say, where you're just resting as the witness, witnessing everything, but not losing yourself in it, not identifying with it. 
and just resting your attention in formlessness, in formlessness and really becoming that witness is the essence of masculine practice. And I think what has happened, obviously it's important to be an integrated human being, (laughs) you know, so I do both practices. I meditate and I embody the pulse of life and I dance and express my erotic energy and just feel the feminine has more of a vibrational, alive, pulsing quality to her when we sit with it. And the masculine feels more empty. <laughs> so when you're really resting in, in meditation, you just feel this beautiful, expansive emptiness. But I think a lot of, there's almost been a, there might have been a, a sort of neuroses there or avoidance, like because it's easy to transcend this world altogether and just say, you know what, the world is dirty, the world is filled with suffering. I'm just going to go sit in meditation and bypass all of that, <laughs> right? <laughs> so that I think that's what we often see happening. And if that's what someone wants to do for their life and sit in a cave and just rest in the void, that's cool. (laughs) But I think a more integrated path is to bring that depth of consciousness into the world and engage with the world. Totally agree. And I love that you said that. It's so easy to just kind of step away from all of life that's present inside of us. It's so easy to transcend instead of befriend the body. It's so easy to, or it's not easy per se, because it creates problems or challenges down the road in intimacy and relationship and work. But it is, uh, and I I love the word integrated because I really feel like even that idea, like I don't necessarily like the word healing because it implies that we have to, that we are broken and we have to be healed, but integrating ourselves feels very much like we are returning to wholeness. Like we are just integrating these aspects of ourselves in beautiful harmony and creating this space where we can walk through life with a full experience of it. And I think that, I guess at this stage in your journey, what are you... I don't like using the word optimizing, but why not? Because I can't find <laughs> a different my word. word. I can't use it. I can't use a, yeah, I know it's, it's not my word either, but I don't know of another <laughs> word to describe what I'm trying to convey. But like at this stage in your journey, what are you optimizing your day-to-day experience for? I think at the end of the day, it's really about ever deepening intimacy and ever deepening connection with what is. <laughs> there's so much in that one statement (laughs) what's the thing like when you go I feel like at least I remember the first time I I ran into uh, Ram Dass's teachings and like when he was able to just convey such a powerful message in one sentence I was like how does he do that and then I studied him and I it's just like the more I think you live into it which is what you've done you're living into your message and in a way that's made it so simple and I'm just so grateful actually for you as a being like you're just like I I love the way that you've spent so much time 
and practice understanding your own your own relationship to yourself and these different opposing energies within you that's given you the ability to convey them with such grace and and such um with such depth. And I'm, I'm so grateful. I, I said this to you when we first met, but I'm just so grateful that you pour yourself into your art the way you do, because it's, I've learned so much just on this conversation from you and it's, uh, yeah, I'm just really grateful. So thank you for being as you are. It's, it's pretty lovely. <laughs> thank you so much. I would love to bring awareness to anything you are presently working on or anything that you're presently pouring into the world or if anyone listening to this wanted to reach out or or participate in any of your programs. Like This conversation kind of set the stage for all the brilliance you bring into the world, but if there's anything that you have in particular you want to share, I'd love to. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. So I I predominantly work with women, which I might have mentioned. And right now there's a a few ways to work with me. I am doing an in-person event in July, a women's retreat that I'm really excited about because I haven't done one since, you know, COVID began. (laughs) So that's happening in California in July. And I also have a six-month practice group I'm accepting applications for, and that begins in September. So we do a lot of this work that I've been discussing with you here in direct practice. So we do a lot of embodiment practice, intimacy work, and yeah, just diving into all of this. And I do one-on-one work as well. Amazing. Well, Nina, I have one last question for you. In the midst of everything you're doing, everywhere you've been and everywhere you're going, how do you stay grounded? How do I stay grounded? I breathe. (laughs) I breathe. (laughs) That's it. That's it. (laughs) It's so anchoring. Yeah. I've been really leaning more into my breath recently as the tool for me. I'm like, I can't find anything that centers me more. So on the same page, Nina, thank you, thank you, thank you again for being here and for sharing your heart with us. So grateful. Everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj, and this is your new friend, Nina. And from us, stay grounded. We'll chat soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.